0: Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. All right, well, it's good to be together today. We're starting a new series, actually, on the Sermon on the Mount. So for the next eight weeks, we'll be in this uh, Matthew text from chapter 5 through chapter 7. Looking forward to that. But before I jump into that... I want to give you an announcement, and that is that GT West Hills is relaunching in March. Woo! Yes! Yes, yes, yes. Our um, our West Hills West Shore location has uh, been unable to meet because we didn't have a building, um, and we've found a temporary space that's really going to work for us. It's going to require a little bit of, of uh, new systems, but we're gonna we're gonna be great. It's going to work well. We're very excited about that, so you can look forward to that. If you're if you've been waiting, if you're watching online and you've been waiting for our West Hills our West Shore location, well, wait only a few more weeks, and it's actually almost two years to the day that we had to say goodbye, that we are back. And so I'm so excited. And you know what? I have a sense in my heart that that, uh, the word of God is going to be true. That the years that the locusts have eaten will be restored. Amen? I think God's up to something. We're going to believe for it. And there were no locusts, but there was a virus. And so similar kind of thing. Are you tracking with me? Okay, good. Very exciting. Very, very exciting. And um, if If Pastor Adam was here, he's not here today. If he was here, he would be doing cartwheels uh, across the front. He is ready to go. It's going to be a very exciting time. So, Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is full of familiar stories. Um, Any Sunday school kids here? Anybody go to Sunday school when they're a kid? The foolish man builds his house upon the sand. You know that one? Yeah, did you learn that? Okay. You know, the wise man build his house upon the rock. And the rains came, tell exactly that one's in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, the Lord's Prayer, anybody heard the Lord's Prayer? Sermon on the Mount, yeah, lots of really great things. Oh, yeah, sorry, middle school kids, <laughs> goodbye, get out of here. We love you, be blessed with Bryn. Go, okay, uh, also. Um, there's a story next week we'll be looking at. It's not really a story. It's more of a, like a, a, an analogy that Jesus makes that's very familiar to us, the um, salt and light. Uh, you, you may have heard that analogy. It actually comes from this storyline where people would say, oh, that person is so great. They're just down to earth. They're salt of the earth. Have you heard that? guess what? That's from your Bible. That's from the Sermon on the Mount. So lots of good stuff we're going to cover. There's going to be a lot of challenging moments, a lot of, a lot of uh, pieces for us to wrestle with. But the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's preaching. And it's the longest recorded sermon that Jesus preached. And it's my opinion, not all agree with me, but it's my opinion that it didn't necessarily happen in one moment. But Matthew, who was a collector of taxes as Levi, became a disciple of Jesus. And he turned from being a collector of taxes to being a collector of stories. And he began to collect all of the best and most common repeated teachings of Jesus into 107 verses that's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And he was writing to a Jewish audience with a point. His point was to make sure that the Jewish audience knew that Jesus truly was the Messiah. And the way that he did this was he connected the life and story of Jesus to the life and story of Moses. And he presents Jesus as a second Moses. He presents him in such a way and he says, hey, just like um, Moses had a divine calling, so did Jesus. Just like Moses came out of Egypt, so did Jesus. Just like Moses crossed over the Red Sea, Jesus went through the waters of baptism. Just like the children of Israel with Moses wandered in the wilderness, so Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted. Are you seeing the storyline? There's a parallel that's happening here. And then we get to chapter 5 and that mirrors what happened to the Israelites when Moses went up the mountain and got the 10 commandments. Jesus didn't get 10 commandments, but we're about to see chapter five. He goes up on the mountainside and gives out eight beatitudes. And that's going to be our text today. The parallel continues. Jesus is a perfect, better savior. Moses was tempted, angry in the wilderness and failed, but Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and won. Amen. Very good. Very exciting. So we get to chapter five. And in chapter 5, we start to see this storyline of Jesus unfolding what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. And and being part of the kingdom of God is something that is offered to us, the kingdom of heaven. So there's a difference here between the Ten Commandments And the Beatitudes. Let me explain to you what that is. The difference is the Ten Commandments were based on ten things that you should not do, right? Do not steal, do not kill, do not commit adultery. On the flip side, Jesus gives eight Beatitudes, eight things that you should do things that are present in your life. It's empowering. It's releasing. It's not um, its not a call to hold back. The law is always a call to hold back. But in grace through Jesus, we are called to move forward and move forward in his blessing and move forward in a beautiful way. And so that's the difference between the Ten Commandments and the Beatitudes. So let's jump in. Chapter 5, verse 1 and verse 2, it says this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Now, this last phrase, he began to teach them, is important because this phrase, actually, if you were to look at the Greek structure of the sentence, it's actually saying, these were the teachings that Jesus taught us over and over and over again. And so, Matthew collected all these teachings. It's like the disciples were hanging out together, and they were saying, like Jesus always said, And there you go, 107 verses of the things that Jesus always said. These become foundational to the kingdom of God. The Sermon on the Mount is known as the Magna Carta of the kingdom. It is certainly the manifesto of the king. And so this we need to pay special attention to. We need to take our time with it. But we also have a lot of ground to cover. So thanks for being along. Buckle up your seatbelts. This verse says that when Jesus saw the crowds. Now here you go. This is context. The disciples were now getting swept up into something that had quite a bit of momentum. In chapter 4, we see all about how Jesus starts to do miracles, and people are gathered to his teaching and his miracles. And now we get to chapter 5, and the disciples are going, success! We have, we have a crowd. We have a following. We are a going concern. We are actually what's happening in the Galilee. Come on, we're a big deal. We are what's going on in this region. And Jesus, sensing this, didn't want the heads of the disciples to swell along with the crowd. So he said, now's the time for me to talk to you. And if, you're very, if you watch very carefully, you'll understand that who Jesus was talking to primarily was his disciples. It says they came to him and he taught them. I'm sure the crowd followed. I'm sure the crowd was listening in. But friends, what we're about to read, what we're about to study is for the follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, then you'll probably find a pretty interesting storyline. You'll probably also find some great life lessons and even some character traits. But as a disciple of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, friends, this is key to walking out your life of faith, what Jesus says here. And so he speaks to his disciples. And his goal here is to introduce them to the kingdom of heaven, which he said he was bringing in chapter 4. Beyond that, he's teaching them that the kingdom of God, this kingdom that we're building, the kingdom of heaven, it's not connected to fame. It's not about the crowd. The Sermon on the Mount begins to describe this kingdom. And so it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down. He sat down because that's what rabbis do. That's what teachers did. They sat when they talked. So guess what? When the rabbi sat, the people all stood. Can someone bring me a chair? You guys want to stand up for the next 30 minutes or so while I preach? Ah, I don't think it's going to work. Okay, you guys sit. I'll stand. I'll get a break later. You take a break now. But you know why they stood? Because they could certainly not fall asleep. And so if you start to fall asleep, just go ahead and stand right up, Okay. Just stand up. No one will think anything of it. It won't be weird at all. (laughs) So with all the crowds filling in behind the disciples, you know, the the Bible says his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He began to explain to them a couple of things. The first thing is this. Those who seek this kingdom of heaven will ultimately experience comfort and inheritance, a satisfaction, mercy, a vision of God himself. They'll they'll ultimately experience belonging and family and citizenship and reward in heaven. They'll ultimately get there. But, and what a blessing that is. But those who are going to seek this kingdom of heaven are first going to experience poverty and mourning and hunger and thirst and persecution and insults and being falsely accused and, and all kinds of evil. That's what the Bible says. So why is it that it's first the good and then the bad? Well, I didn't say it that way. But Jesus did. And I think that through this message, we'll start to understand why. There's something cyclical here. There's something about understanding the depths of the kingdom of God that can only be done through certain elements that Jesus calls blessings. And I'll talk to you about that in just a second. So let's read. It's 785 in the Blue Bible. I looked it up before I came up here. If you want to follow along, grab that blue, blue Bible and follow along. I like that because we're going to be in the same text all for the rest of the message. You can point along with me. You can read it. You can look back on it. Verses certainly will come up. But I think that it's good. It helps me learn specifically if I engage with the word 785 in the Blue Bible in, your, in, um, in front of you. And we're going to start with verse 3, chapter 5 of Matthew. Jesus starts to, to, he brought his disciples together, and now he begins to give them these blessings. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And now verses 11 and 12, which are connected to verse 10. Blessed are you, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. And then Jesus adds another section there about identifying with the prophets and how they suffered and they suffered persecution. The point here is that at the end, Jesus moves from a they to a you. And he does that in persecution. Quite interesting. We'll get there in a second. Blessed. How many of you have ever used the word blessed? Yes. I know many, many people use it. It's a very common word. We use it when people sneeze. Bless you. We also use it when we get a parking spot. Hashtag blessed. Right? We use it in all different kinds of contexts. We use the word blessing a lot. But what does it actually mean? We usually use it when something good happens. But the truth is, the word blessed is makarios, which is a Greek word, and it means truly happy, deep, untouchable joy. It's something that resonates in you that cannot be touched by life circumstances. It's this deep and intrinsic happiness that resides on the inside of you. And Jesus says, I want you to have it. And he says it nine times in a row to make emphasis. Did you know there's nowhere else in Scripture where Jesus makes this much emphasis on one thing? I think we ought to pay attention. There's something here. It's quite remarkable. In GT, I just want you to know, church family, I love you. And just like Jesus said, I want you to be blessed. I want you to walk in the blessing of God. And so we can learn something together today because Jesus gave special attention to this. Let's do it as well. And let's take all that Jesus has for us here because he has a blessing for us. Amen, you ready for that? He has a blessing for us. Every one of these specific Character traits is assigned to an incredible blessing, an incredible blessing. So, I'm calling this message the mindset of blessing because I think that's really the great battle in taking in what Jesus says here. Even when I read the Beatitudes, some of you just started to glaze, and I I know, I get that. I understand. It's like, heard it before, I know it, not much left to process, but there's a mindset. And the reason why I I, I called this message the mindset of blessing is because Jesus turns culture on its head. You know, obviously this text is rooted in a culture, and that was the Roman occupation of a Jewish world, okay? And so the Roman occupation of the Holy Land meant that there were people who were perplexed by what values they should carry. The Israelites had this value of kingship. And the Romans had a Caesar. The Romans had a domination mentality. And the Jews had a separation mentality. And these collided. And some Jews took on a Greek thought process called Hellenism. And they were all mixed in there. And so Jesus is approaching this culture. And he changes. He's trying to change the values of the culture. He's attacking the values of the culture. And the interesting thing is, what Jesus says here also assaults my culture. And what I would consider success and what I would put as my own values and what I would say might be what our culture would view as, whoa, those guys really have it together. And it is assaulted by what Jesus says. So I want to read this with you and I want to learn this with you. There's blessings here. There is blessings. But beyond blessings, there's commands here. Jesus is calling to us. He's inviting us into something different. He's inviting us into something deeper. And as a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you into this. See, this is not multiple choice. You don't get to look at the eight and decide which ones you like and which ones you don't, which ones you want, which ones you don't want. I want you to think of it as a package deal. It's like going to Costco. You want one, you're getting all eight, right? Right? It's like that. And so they come together as a package. You're going to get them together, and we're going to look at them together. And and we're going to see that if we can embrace all eight of these characteristics, then there's a tremendous blessing for us. So let's look at all eight. We're going to look at them briefly. Um, We've got a lot of ground to cover, but I do think that this is incredibly helpful. So are you with me? Ready to go? Buckle your seatbelt. Here we go. So we're going to look at each one. The first one comes in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And just a brief word on this. You enter the kingdom of heaven by seeing your spiritual poverty. This verse says that blessed are you when you're poor in spirit. Now, this isn't talking about material wealth. It's not talking about material poverty. It's talking about understanding that I am impoverished without Jesus. That no matter what I've done to build my kingdom, if I want his kingdom, I've got to realize that mine is bankrupt. You know what I'm talking about? I've got to feel that transition from my kingdom to his. I have to understand that I'm poor in spirit, and then I receive the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. And that's the transition. So you're blessed when you're able to say, I am poor without Jesus. I need Him. I can't do anything to save myself. It's all Him. And so that's how you enter into the kingdom of heaven. And maybe that's exactly where you are today. And being made aware of the fact that your kingdom doesn't cut it is a very important piece. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Let God speak to you about that. Because your step is to say Jesus, I need you. And I guarantee you, He's the best Savior in the whole wide world. He will rescue you if you call upon His Name. Second thought from verse 4 Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So, sure, this could talk about mourning emotionally, absolutely. Because we need comfort in times of mourning, when we're when we're suffering because of loss, because someone we love has died, because something we dreamed for has died, because uh, life has dealt us a very difficult set of circumstances, and certainly we can receive the comfort of the Lord in those times. But I believe, just like poor in spirit, we're talking about spiritual mourning. And in other words, what I'm suggesting here is that this verse is talking about. Spiritual mourning over the death of myself, did you know that dying to yourself includes a mourning process? So you think about it. Jesus says, come on, step into the kingdom. It requires poverty of spirit. And all of a sudden you go like, well, what about everything I worked for? What about all the stuff I set up? What about all the systems I created? What about all of the, the you know, the different, the different levels of success that I've been told about all my life? I mean, I've got, I've got my financial success and my family success and my, you know, my personal success, my, my, all of my, my network. And, and I'm not suggesting that anything of that is wrong. But that kingdom is what we have to step away from if we're able, if, you know, so then we'll be able to receive the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And so what ends up happening is we walk through a mourning process. And the mourning process is I'm dying to myself. I'm dying to that way of life. And sometimes we feel like, oh man, did I waste that much time? And if you've lived your life apart from God, listen, it's okay to walk into the presence of God, recognize there's a need there, and say, wow, I've built a lot. Let him redeem that. Let him change that. Let him transform that. Because those things can be a blessing once you understand the blessing of the kingdom of heaven. And God will use what all is in your life for his glory. But it requires letting go of that and clinging to him, finding the kingdom. There's a mourning process. There's an exchange that's going on here. And I think that's really key, really important. Uh, The third one is verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, as we stand where we are, I think inheriting the earth is a future concept. Maybe for the disciples, as they gathered around Jesus, they would have said, if they were here today, go, wow, look what you've done, Jesus. Billions of believers around the world. There's an inheritance there. But I think for us, as we stand in our time, look to Revelation. It's a future inheritance. is still to come. It's the wonderful gift of heaven and heaven on earth. Okay, but the point here is that Jesus says you're blessed when you're meek. And meek is an interesting word. There's a deconstruction going on here. Poor in spirit, mourn meek it's a lowering that's going on here and so there is a sense of humility in the word meekness but the thing that i love is that the way that the greek word meekness comes to comes to being is it it's rooted in this concept of domesticating a wild animal it's such a neat concept I mean, you think about a lion, you know, they would go get lions and bring them from Africa to, um, to the Roman world for, for the games and so on, right? And, and they, would, they could never domesticate that wild animal, but the concept of meekness is being domesticated. Imagine the strength of a lion completely domesticated, the power under control. That's the concept of meekness. When we come to the Lord and he says, you're blessed when you're meek, when you take the power that you have, submit it to him, you find yourself in humility. And wow, the Lord can use that because the kingdom of heaven is the way of humility. It's powerful, friends. And so now with these three, we've seen sort of this lowering going on. Let's look at number four, which is verse six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The first three are emptying, losing, dying. Now we're getting filled. Are you, are you understanding? There's a progression here. Now we're getting filled up. We're getting filled up with the righteousness of God. And these first three might seem to be emptying us, but there's a great filling that's going on. And listen, when we talk about righteousness, we have to recognize that all concepts of righteousness are not the same. Sometimes we do righteous things out of obligation. And sometimes we do them out of love. Jesus is drawing us into a love relationship. That's the point. You're going to hunger and thirst for him. You're going to long for him. And out of that, there's going to be this incredible filling that takes place. Let me give you an analogy to help, help you understand this. What's the speed limit on Blanchard? 50 kilometers per hour. Woo, lightning fast. Okay, Okay, great. So 50 kilometers an hour. That's the speed limit out here. So if I'm driving down to the church, the police station is across the street, and as I'm driving, I'm driving about 60, I would never do that because I'm hungry and thirsty for righteousness, okay? So I would never do that, but if I did, and all of a sudden a policeman pulled in behind me and I took my foot off the gas and didn't pump the brakes as to give myself away... Not that I've ever done that, but just to coast to the speed limit and then watching my mirror, using my indicators, doing everything right. I turned around, turned into the church and he went that way and I go this way and ha, ah, it's all good. Now that's one way of finding my motivation for righteousness. It's obligatory. But let me give you another scenario. Say I'm a brand new dad. And I am beaming as I bring my brand new baby out of the hospital. And I get to my car and I gently set the baby down and I open up the door and I check the car seat. You know, the thing that holds the car seat. Google it and check the belt and lock it in and you know, do all it go, lock, you know, close the door, lock it just in case. Go around, get in, sit down, check it one more time, put on my seatbelt this way put on my seatbelt. start up the car check my mirrors look back look okay good all, slowly back out so are you feeling me drive the speed limit all the way home why because of love i'm not obligated i'm in love are you seeing the difference and that's what jesus is calling us into come on Hunger and thirst out of love. Oh, you're going to be so filled. Oh, it's going to be so powerful. Not out of obligation, out of love. Amen? Amen. You feeling me? You hearing me? Yes, this is what the Lord's calling us to. Hungering and thirsting. Okay, the fifth one is verse seven. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Mercy. I want to be shown mercy. You see, justice is getting what I deserve. Mercy is not getting what I deserve. I want mercy. And so in order for me to receive mercy, I have to give it. you got to give it to get it. It's cyclical in nature. God pours it out, and we get to pour it out too. And and the reason why I share it that way is because it's like any fresh water source. Any fresh water source that's healthy, it has an inflow and an outflow. And And so there's not stagnation. There's movement. There's freshness coming in. There's outflow, and there's blessing. And that's what Jesus is saying. Listen, choose mercy not justice, let it flow into your life because that's what I'm offering you and let it flow out of your life as a disciple of Jesus. Wow what a a wonderful wonderful picture. The sixth is verse 8 blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. You know there's this this call deeper inside of us in this verse. Jesus says I want to talk about your heart man looks on the outward appearance I, God, looking at the heart. Let me talk to you about your heart. You see, the, the Jews that were surrounding Jesus were rooted in, in a, a law-based system. And the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders, were there to portray the best way to live out this law-based system. And so they were perfect when it comes to what's on the exterior, they were they you know they did all the ceremonial washing the cleansing the washing the washing the washing they must have had prunes for hands they washed and they washed and they washed and they washed this way and that way and every way and they they did all of these things in order to create a the goal was to create a picture of a cleansing that comes from god but everything they did was exterior and it became this law this rule This obligation versus this love. And that's why Jesus said to them that they were a brood of vipers and they were full of deadly poison. Their hearts were full of poison. Something was going wrong on the inside, although the outside looked perfect. And so Jesus says, You're blessed as a disciple when you focus on the heart. Because here's what Jesus promises you Jesus promises you cleansing, He does it, He does the washing. Aren't you grateful? He does the washing, but here's where we get to participate. We get to walk in that purity and in that cleansing that Jesus offers us. We get to enjoy it. We get to live in it. I don't take a bath and go roll in the mud. I enjoy the fact that my old spice is smelling good, right? Absolutely. And that's the point here is that we're going to walk in the cleansing of Jesus pure in heart. And we will see our God. He'll become visible. Because what's going on on the inside of me is my my heart is pure. And I look to heaven. I look for God. I'm not distracted by rogue thoughts and, and passions that are unruly. Because I'm living in the cleansing of Jesus. Number seven, verse nine, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Let's just start in the right place. God made peace with us through the cross of Jesus Christ. Praise God. We have peace with God which is of most importance. But the goal here in this verse is peace between each other. There's a context of peace between each other. It's the defining mark of the follower of God that we have peace with each other. And so peacemaking means when I offer love in the face of hate, I offer mercy in the face of judgment, I offer joy in the face of sadness, I offer hope in the face of fear. Therefore, I am a peacemaker and I reflect my Father in his goodness. Number eight, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, this is the same reward as the first one. It's it's like God is bringing us back full circle. It's like Jesus is saying, come on, let's go back around. When you're poor in spirit, you receive the kingdom of heaven. When you're persecuted, you take another step into understanding the kingdom of heaven. There's a further death that's going on. There's a further impoverishment that's here. And that's why Jesus adds two more verses to give this specific emphasis. And this is the point the point is, we're certainly not experiencing the kind of persecution that we see in other countries, are we? This isn't North Korea. We're certainly not experiencing what our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan are experiencing. Number one, when it comes to the list of the most persecuted Christians in the world, Afghanistan. We're not experiencing what others are experiencing in other parts of the world in Iran where there's great persecution but I think that we should be prepared for our faith to cost us something. Can I challenge you with that thought? We should be prepared for our faith to cost us something. That's what being a disciple of Jesus is about. I was so challenged by a, a video um, that I watched called Sheep Among Wolves, and I would recommend it to you. It's a documentary film about what's happening in Iran. And the church in Iran is exploding. The revival there is powerful. The move of God is fantastic. And the persecution is awful. God is showing up in divine ways, He's revealing himself. He's literally sharing passages and and chunks of scripture with people who have no context. The man in white comes to visit me and I write down what he says and it's John chapter 1. Friends, there is remarkable stories. In fact, in our last baptism video, there was an Iranian woman, a Persian woman, who was baptized. You would have heard her testimony. She spoke in Farsi, and there was there was um, there was the subtitles. God is doing something amazing there. So I'm watching this documentary. Yeah, praise God. I'm watching this documentary and. And friends, I was so moved because they're interviewing people, and, and the, the commentator is saying, We interviewed these women, and we said to this one woman, We said, What are you gonna do if the secret police show up? And the secret police are brutal. Their goal is intimidation, humiliation. And what they do to the women is horrible. It's awful. But when this woman was asked, what what is it that you would do if they come and they find you? And she said, I've given Jesus my life. It's cost me my family. It's cost me my job. It's cost me my circle of friends. But I've given my life to Jesus. And if that happens, I will close my eyes. And I will say to my God, And now, Jesus, I offer you my body as a living sacrifice. The challenge of that is heavy on me today. That's real. And I just just feel like we have something to learn about the vitality that comes through persecution. I've just felt in my own heart that we should be ready for a little bit more cost in our faith. I I felt like I wanna have a faith that can endure persecution. I don't wanna just say I'm ready. I wanna be ready. I wanna be someone who says, Jesus, if that's what what you're calling me to, then I'm ready and I'll receive that. And so as I kind of bring everything back into a snapshot, I'm gonna put an image up. And this image is reframing all that we've heard today in a way that I think becomes a little more like put it in your pocket and take it home. So here Jesus bringing us a mindset of blessing. And I'm calling this the Beatitude Challenge. Number one, instead of pride and independence, cling to God as your life source. Instead of happiness at any cost, choose to mourn your pain and your past so you can move forward. Instead of power, embrace humility. Instead of pursuing your personal needs, long for God to fill you. Instead of demanding justice, extend mercy. Instead of focusing on the exterior life, focus on the heart instead of peace and comfort for yourself work to bring peace to others and instead of weak commitments accept persecution so Jesus we're hearing you we're your disciples can I invite you to stand to your feet I wanna stand in God's presence with you today because I'm sure that as we do this, we will be blessed. But I wanna be a disciple of Jesus with you today and I wanna stand in his presence and I wanna be still before him. I ask you just in this standing place just to bow your head with me for a moment and and we are gonna get to communion. But maybe you're here today and you say, what I need is I need the blessing of being poor in spirit. I need Jesus, and I recognize that nothing else can save. Not my bank account, not my RSP, not my promotion, not my million-dollar idea, not my home equity, not my insurance policy. But I have to say that my kingdom is spiritually bankrupt, and I need Jesus to be my Savior. If that's what you need, reach out to him. i tell you where the challenge is for me. I need the blessing of those who are persecuted. Maybe you're with me today. Maybe you're able to say that Jesus, you're enough because you're everything. And my commitment to the kingdom has been t- at times too weak. And I choose today to be a living sacrifice. That's my choice and that's my decision. I am prepared for my faith to cost me something. Obviously, I don't want it, Lord. Obviously, I don't look for persecution. But I'm ready for there to be a cost in following you. And I'll accept that as a living sacrifice. I think communion is a beautiful response. So I'm gonna ask each of you now to take your communion cup and get it ready with me. It's a special Sunday for us. It's a time when we celebrate Jesus, his death, his sacrifice. And I can't even think of a better response To this beautiful challenge than to say I will identify with your broken body and your shed blood so I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11 and we'll take together for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, the broken body of Jesus for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The blood of Christ shed for you. And so Jesus, we celebrate you. You're the one who wins the victory. You're the one that cleanses us and gives us pure hearts. You're the one that we hunger and thirst for. You're the one that we long for. You're the one... Lord, we're humbled before you. We want meekness in our lives. Lord, we, we want to be willing to suffer for our faith because you are worth it. Lord, we celebrate you. We glorify you. You have won the victory and we stand in faith with you and we love you, Jesus. We love you. We ask now that you would be the center of our celebration as we leave today and ready ourselves for the week ahead. We do so in the blessing of God the true happiness, the untouchable joy that comes as a follower of Jesus. So we praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together.